It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Monday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. From our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, we welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast, Hacksaw's Headlines. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with the irreverent co-host John Riley. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast, brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center stores. There are nine locations in San Diego, regardless of the project. You've got work to get done, you need materials, you want advice, you want to go see the good people at Dixie Line Lumber. And by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido, at some point going forward, we're all going to need help with our eyes, whether it's glaucoma, whether it's cataracts, whether it's eye tests, new glasses, contact lenses, think. North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John Riley. Took a deep breath. OD'd on football this weekend. Wow. Wow. I, I was just joking with you. There was like an anchor attached to my body and my my recliner. And so what a great weekend on Sunday. Looking forward to the Super Bowl in a few weeks. Business notes before we get started. We do something kind of unique with this podcast. I don't know what anybody else does. We do a thing at the end for you people. It's called Fans Forum. We invite you to jump in and exchange opinions, ask questions. Questions, take shots, make statements. We call it Fans Forum. John, describe how the people on live stream can get access to Fans Forum. Okay, so if you've got a comment, a question for Hacksaw, if you want to take a shot at Hacksaw, just type in your comment or question in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. We'll see it on our screen. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And a reminder, we've started something new as we've pushed into 2024. We ask you to join our team. It's called Hacksaw's Insiders Group, and it's really simple. There's nothing in the world that's free except this. Except this. So yeah, we just sent out the best 15 minutes of sports about an hour ago or so. So you'll get lots of great sports content. We've got some plan, plans for 2024. So go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Look for that orange box. Sign in. It's free. Join us in the Hacksaw Insiders group. And if you like sports, go to my website. I write on it every day. An absolute ton of content. That's absolutely free. Punch it up. Look at it every day. LeeHacksawHamilton.com dot com is the address we want you to subscribe to everything we do so the minute we put something up on our youtube channels and the other social platforms you will get notification and we want you to share tell your friends what we're doing with our podcast what we're doing with the written content on our website John, let's start NFL football because everybody that I cross paths with on Monday morning has got opinions of the outcome of Kansas City, Baltimore. Yeah, and the MVP had kind of a rough go in Baltimore. Chiefs. We know what Kansas City Chief football's been known for for years. Andy Reid's offense. Mm -hmm. Chiefs came out of character. The defense won them the game. Kansas City's defense was superb. 17-10 win, Baltimore Ravens. The Chiefs won it because their defense made a ton of big plays. Andy Reid out-schemed John Harbaugh. Steve Spagnuolo blitzed Lamar Jackson into submission. The Ravens were so tough during the course of the year, 
can't believe they self-destructed under the siege of turnovers. And then there was Mahomes and Kelsey being Mahomes and Kelsey. 11 targets to the tight end, 11 completions to the tight end, which was stunning. Um, Holmes, 240 yards passing during the course of the win. Kansas City destroyed Baltimore's zone coverage package. Andy Reid is now 25-12 and 12 in postseason football. That's a phenomenal record. Patrick Mahomes is 14-3 now as a postseason quarterback. And on the road, Mahomes is now 34-12. and 12. Lamar Jackson, he just did not look like the Lamar Jackson we've seen during the course of the year. Fumble, threw into triple coverage in the end zone, had that picked. Zay Flowers, after a big pass play, took a terrible taunting penalty at the end of that. Flowers fumbled at the one going in for another score. Every time you turned around, there was a yellow hanky on the field. There was a Baltimore Raven. (laughs) Took eight flags, quarterback hits, personal fouls, unsportsmanlike conduct, even 12 guys on the field. And for every odd big play Lamar Jackson made with his teammates, and they had big plays at 21-32, 39 and 59. For every big play, there was a setback because it was always a penalty flag somewhere in that possession. And the Ravens, the Ravens were only 3 of 11 on third downs. I mean, Kansas City had their number. Kansas City forced them into things they couldn't handle. Kansas City made the most of it. I got questions. Why would the Ravens stay in the zone defense after the first quarter when Mahomes and Kelsey just absolutely tore it apart? And why did Baltimore, which had played tough guy football all year, run the bleeping ball? Why did they give up the run game? Why did Gus Edwards have only three carries in that football game? And Lamar, we said when we did the preview on Thursday, keep Lamar in the pocket, make him feel uncomfortable. And Lamar was just a shade over 50% completion after completing like 67% during the season. This thing was so out of character for Kansas City's defense to win and so out of character for Baltimore just to completely crumble. And John Riley says, I thought that the Mahomes and Andy Reid were going to go in and ambush them. And sure enough, they did. I mean, Travis Kelsey was playing out of his mind in the first half. He was open. He saw zone. He read zone. He and Mahomes are on this wavelength that zone, find the open spot. Boom, boom, boom. Exactly. They remember that one touchdown pass, like in the corner. Mahomes directed that ball kind of low and outside, only place that Travis could catch it. So Kelsey was outstanding. Mahomes was crafty, had some crazy pass plays. And did Lamar Jackson choke in the biggest game of his life? I always felt, as dynamic as he is, that he gets uncomfortable with people at his feet and people in his face. And his his rhythm totally went away. And you could just sense it like he was panicked in the pocket with people all around him. And Spagnola blitzed him. They blitzed Baltimore's front unmercifully. And yeah, they got they had four sacks along the way, but they they just created so much pressure. He couldn't find receivers, he couldn't go through his progressions because he was worried what was going on around him. He talked about distracted. And then Baltimore just Totally unraveled with all the stupid penalties. Oh, yeah. Just, just crazy. Yeah, it was a disgrace what Flowers did. Yeah. 
Let me get your take, Hack. So what's your take on this whole Taylor Swift thing? Are you a fan or do you think it's a big distraction? You hating on it? First, when it first started, I said, come on, this isn't that important. (laughs) And then then everybody kind of got into it. It's okay. It's cool. It's novel. It's different. It's it's great, I guess. I'm sure the NFL is so amped because there's so many Taylor Swifty fans that are showing up (laughs) watching NFL games that wouldn't watch NFL games. So... It's cool. It's all right. It's all right. I mean, there's people that are hating on Swift, hating on Kelsey. I'm like, why hate, man? It's all good. So the Chiefs, four out of five last Super Bowls. This is incredible. Yeah. Can you say dynasty? No, no doubt. Yeah, really good. Oh, Mahomes is such a great quarterback. You know, people are now barking on Monday. Mahomes, Brady, who's who's the greatest of all time? Who cares? They're both, both fabulous performers. Yeah. Well, if, if Mahomes keeps up this pace, he's going to pass Brady. Just absolutely amazing. So we got two weeks to think about what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. So we go from that game to the NFC Championship game. The Niners, the Lions. Boy, this was a crazy one. Oh, boy. Polar opposite halves. 34-31 San Fran can and did. First go, too many big plays. First go, too much talent. Lions, game was way too long for them. They played an outstanding first 30 minutes. Rubok says it's a 60-minute game. Detroit loses a 24-7 lead. Niners erupted for 27 points in a row. Niners scored five straight possessions against a defense that made, made it tough on everybody all year long to put the ball in the end zone. Lions dominated the first 30, lost the final 30, lost the game. Huge amount of criticism. Coach Dan Campbell. Gambling three times on fourth downs, going for it rather than taking the field goal. Well, field goals, that's not a guarantee you're going to get three. But boy, when you get a chance to get points on the board in the playoffs, I think you need to do that rather than take it off the board and go for a first down. Niners defense held them on fourth downs twice. San Francisco, huge fumble recovery. Third down meltdown. Third quarter meltdown was unbelievable because it changed the whole momentum of the game. And suddenly a stunned San Francisco crowd became a furious San Francisco crowd in the third and fourth quarter. And then you had the unbelievable fluke 51-yard catch by Brandon Ayuk, (laughs) the ricochet off the guy's face mask. (laughs) Brock Purdy broke their back. He scrambled four different times, wound up getting 51 yards rushing, and he threw for 261. Those scrambles really killed Detroit. Christian McCaffrey, after a slow start, they started, instead of going down the field, started spreading the field. He wound up with 132 all-purpose yards. Debo, eight receptions for 89 yards. Jared Goff threw for 273 and a touchdown, but disappeared in the second half of that football game when he got knocked around. What's too bad is, I mean, the Lions ran the ball. They ran for 182 yards. Normally in society, you run for 182, you're going to win. They ran for 182 and they lost the lead. In society. (laughs) And Mike Shanahan, 8-3 and now in postseason play. Shanny the son might be better than Shanny the father as a head coach. My questions after the game. Detroit, fourth down calls. Campbell deserved to get cooked on this. I mean, they did it all season long, and they were pretty successful. But points in the playoff games are so valuable. 
And did Brock Purdy look panic-stricken for the second week in a row? And should you be concerned about that? Or the fact that he rallied them now back-to-back come-from-behind wins, that eases the tension there. And John Riley says, This was an amazing game. I mean, the beginning of it, I thought it was doom and gloom for the 49ers. And then Brock Purdy, and I mean, the, the script completely flipped in the third quarter after halftime. Um, but I just, you know, I feel bad for Detroit Lion fan. Ah, <laughs> oh, they were so emotional, rightfully so. And, and their team had been a disgrace for decades. They're finally at the cusp of the Super Bowl with a 17-point lead, and it evaporates on them. I mean, that is so, so rough. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I was born and raised San Francisco 49er fan back as a kid. You know, I followed the team when John Brody was the quarterback. And I'm rooting for the Niners, even though I'm 500 miles away. But I kind of understand why people hate on the Niners because they win all the time. Just like we used to hate on the Patriots or we'd hate on the Yankees or, you know, or the Lakers or whatever dominant team there was. The Niners are one of those teams. No doubt about it. You got to earn it. You got to learn from it. And I guarantee a year from now when they go to the playoffs, Detroit's approach, maybe their psyche will be a little bit better. You know, you want as many possessions in your pocket as you can get. You know, and if you're taking a 17-point lead and you're kicking field goals, then, then it could be 20 or 23, which makes that sucker a three- or four-possession game. And mm-hmm. nobody gets off the deck when they're down by three or four possessions. That's the only beef I have with Dan Campbell is you just need to get as many points as you can any way that you can. They obviously went for the whole enchilada saying, hey, if I can get the first down, punch that sucker into the end zone, then I get seven instead of three. That that was a big issue. Great games. My goodness. Uh, we'll wait to see Monday night the TV ratings come out. We'll get to, get to see what the rest of these TV ratings are for the AFC-NFC championship game because they were projecting because Kansas City-Buffalo had drawn 50 mil. They thought somebody was going to crack 55 million wow. this weekend. But going towards the Super Bowl in two weeks, the whole world will be watching that because that's going to be that's <laughs> yes, going to be a really good matchup. One question for you about the Super Bowl coming up: It's a two week break. There's been some years when it's only been a one week break, mm-hmm. and somewhere it's two. I mean, why the inconsistency? Knowing the NFL, they just want to control the calendar. Okay, you know, if they could play football eleven months of the year, <laughs> they'd probably play eleven months of the year. All right, um, yeah, it, it it's a different feel when it's one week because it's boom, you turn around, game plan, you go to you go to the Super Bowl site for your press conferences. Here gives you and me and everybody else, sports talk, <laughs> radio, podcast, TV, sports anchors, two weeks to talk, dissect, create, whatever. Exactly. So it, it's probably more marketing than it is anything else. Makes sense. Okay, so we got that. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on off the field around the NFL, John. Yeah, some NFL coaches kind of switching seats here. Let's let's break it down. Well, we got almost all the head coaching jobs filled. There's only two left. Washington, Seattle. I think something happens this week with both those jobs. Uh, my gut feel is that I still think that Dan Quinn Dallas is going to go to Seattle, go back to Seattle. And in Washington... They're trying to finalize what I think is an offer to Ben Johnson, the Detroit offensive coordinator. But there are other names out there that still might get thrown into the mix with the Washington Commanders. The new owner, Josh Harris, is going to meet with uh, Ben Johnson. It's either Monday or it's going to be Tuesday or Wednesday. I think by midweek, both those jobs probably will be filled. But the movement 
of coordinators has been staggering. How many coordinators have lost their jobs? How many coordinators got fired from teams that had pretty decent seasons and faltered in postseason? Here's the latest on Brandon Staley. I thought he was a lock to go to the Rams. The minute Raheem Morris left the Rams as defensive coordinator to take the Falcons' job, I thought Brandon Staley was a lock. He's not been hired yet. Brandon Staley spent part of the weekend in Green Bay with the Packers, in Miami with their coach, uh, because they both have defensive coordinator openings, and the Rams are still out there, but the Rams now are starting to interview other people. So we'll find out how hot a commodity Brandon Staley is probably this week. Kellen Moore, Charger offensive coordinator, ex-Dallas Cowboy offensive coordinator, not retained by Jim Harbaugh coming in the front door. His star doesn't shine real bright right now. Mm. You know, now suddenly you look back at Kellen Moore's run, and Kellen Moore had a couple of good years with Dak Prescott in Dallas. But when he exited, what did Dak do? Dak went for, what, 32 touchdowns and six interceptions, and the Cowboys were dynamic. Yeah. Kellen Moore comes to the Chargers, linked with Justin Herbert. And what happened? They stopped scoring. Granted, the quarterback (laughs) was hurt. Right. Running back got dinged, and they never had a run game. Offensive line was substandard. So Kellen Moore's star isn't shining as bright right now. That being said, Kellen Moore... Interviewing a bunch of different places, hired by the Eagles, snap of the fingers. Wow. Hired on Sunday night by Nick Sirianni, who's fired everybody off his staff because of what happened in Philadelphia. So Kellen Moore has taken his resume and his notebook, and he's gone to Philadelphia to work with Jalen Hurts. Vic Fangio, third name on the board, legendary defensive coordinator, didn't do real well. Denver got treated poorly. Wound up in Miami this past season, like on a one-year rental. Uh, he walked away from McDaniel's program down there. Vic Fangio hired by the Eagles. So Nick Sirianni, in a span of Saturday night, Sunday, hires Fangio to be his defensive coordinator and Kellen Moore to take over the offense. And the last guy is is a, so highly respected, Ron Rivera, player, defensive coordinator, what he did at Carolina, what he tried to do in Washington in a bad situation. Ron Rivera met with the Cowboys yesterday for a defensive job. We think it's a consultant job. I don't think it's a coordinator's job. But he met with Dallas, and Monday, today, he's in L.A. meeting with the Rams. Hmm. So things are things are kind of changing for name coordinators. So, John, that's the hot list. If you go through... Hacksaw's Headlines, the written form on my website. I have a list of all the coordinators that are interviewing. <laughs> it's a long list. Yeah, it's like your shopping grocery list <laughs> yeah. at the supermarket. There's so many names on it. The movement, I I can't recall a year in which we've had such movement of so many coordinators. In addition to the eight coordinators who got fired by the eight jobs, head jobs that are open, but a whole bunch of other guys on teams that had winning seasons, they got bounced too. So... So what name do you you like there to talk about? Well, Kellen Moore, we knew him as a bright light. That's how you had commented on that in Dallas. I mean, heck, I remember him. He was quarterbacking for the Boise State Broncos back in the day. But what happened? I mean, why is his, you know, playbook not working? Uh, It stuns me because I thought him linking, and he's a smart guy, with the smart guy, Justin Herbert, quarterback chargers, that 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 would have been a relationship made in heaven and they would have been dynamic and they would have done things 
Now, maybe some of it's got to do with, with the hand injury, the left-hand injury that Herbert tried to play through for the first two-thirds of the season. Maybe some of it's got to do with all the skill-wide receivers getting hurt and gone for chunks of time. Maybe some of it's got to do is they, Austin Eckler was not Austin Eckler, and the offense wasn't the offense, and the offensive line, where they put all these studs in place and thought this was the breakout year, they didn't do a very good job protecting the quarterback. So it's probably a check off all those boxes along the way. But it's it's eerie to me that so all of a sudden this hot name gets let go in Dallas and Mike McCarthy reinvents the Cowboys under Dak Prescott and anything Kellen Moore there did there doesn't shine as brightly as what Mike McCarthy did. And he comes to the Chargers and what we expected never ever happened. So suddenly Kellen Moore is being looked at maybe in a little bit different lens right now, too. Yeah, exactly. And and, and then, you know, even Staley, you know, I mean, we were so down on Staley, you know, char- when he was head coach of the Chargers, and he was the defensive guru, yep. and the defense was terrible. So if he's going to Green Bay or Miami, potentially, I bet you know, there's got to be a lot of second guessing, you know, if he's the right guy. Well, the rap on Staley was he was too inflexible. My system works. My players will get the system. Well, we saw how poor their defense was, total defense, pass defense. Um, And then after he was let go, there were a lot of rumblings from within that Charger locker room that he wouldn't change the system. The players couldn't take in all the volume of information. You watch Charger games. I mean, you see guys running open all the time on blown assignment coverages. That's the players being a step too slow because they're trying to think what they should be doing in a certain setup. As the receivers are blowing by him. So we'll see if Staley is going to be a different defensive coordinator than he was as a head coach because what he ran defensively, and it was his defense, and he called the plays. What he ran surely did not work. Hey, we get to halftime. A reminder, fans forum coming up. John, when these people are done with us, we're going to find out what they've got to say. Explain to everybody on live stream how Fans Forum works. Okay, well, I was actually taking a sneak peek, and I was already told the Winnipeg guys are about to drop in any minute. So, hey, if you got a question or a comment um, for Hacksaw about the NFC, AFC Championship games or anything in the world of sports, put your question or comment in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum. That comes up at the end. Got a question, got a statement to make, stand up, sound off, tell us what it is. Fans Forum begins right at the end of this podcast. In addition, uh, we've, we've opened up this window of opportunity for you to join our team. It's called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. We're going to roll out some things here in 2024, kind of interaction between us since we don't have any friends <laughs> and you guys who are friends on our podcast. You can register. It's absolutely free. Go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. There's a big orange box right on the homepage. Just enter the information here. You'll get on our email list. You'll get a ton of data day by day and some other things that we are planning to roll out. That's be part of Hacksaw's Insiders Group. And a reminder, we want you to share, tell all your friends what we do with the Monday Bonus Podcast, what our regular Thursday podcast, and subscribe so you'll get the notification immediately, even if it's at 2 a.m. in the morning, of what we're putting up, because he never sleeps, what we're putting up on our website. So share and subscribe with us. We get to halftime. Our podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber Home Center Stores. John, we know what Dixie Line did in your kitchen. We know about the cabinets. We know about the tile floors. But 
What Dixieline does for your home outside, especially during the winter months or when the summer heat arrives in terms of windows and doors, that's pretty impressive, too. Yeah. I mean, these guys, they know their stuff. If you need a sliding glass door for your backyard or you want a new front door and you want something really cool and custom, they've got all these options. So just go to your nearest Dixieline store and they'll set you up. Dixie Line Lumber, Home Center, nine locations, been in business 100 years. These are people who become your best friends. And a reminder, our podcast brought to you by North County Eye Centers of Poway and Escondido. These people have been in business serving residents of North County and all of San Diego County since the 1970s. We're all going to need direction and help, whether it's vision tests, new glasses, contact lenses, or something more significant. Trust me, I went there. I needed help. You probably will need direction, too. And whether that's cataracts, glaucoma, cornea issues, dry eye issues, if you have questions, they are there to serve you. North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. Back here, second half of our Monday bonus podcast as we welcome our Canadian friends who are joining us. We worked out this deal with a podcaster in, across Canada, and their people jump on board under our podcast as soon as they are done with their podcast in Winnipeg. Hey, we've gone from football. John, let's talk other topics on the table. Let's talk hoops. Hoops, yeah. I mean, this is the heat of the NBA season, and how are our two SoCal teams doing, Lee? Lakers and Clippers. Part of me says, wow, that was some weekend. The other part of me says, these two teams are going in opposite directions. Lakers come from 15 behind the other night to beat Golden State. Double overtime. Couldn't walk away from the TV because neither one of these teams quit. LeBron James went for 36 points, 20 boards, and 12 rebounds. Anthony Davis had 29. D'Angelo Russell had the hot night. He had 28. Steph Curry, 46 points. He was launching threes from everywhere. He had nine trays himself. Warriors, they hit 23 three-point shots, and they lost. Unbelievable. The Lakers, (laughs) unbelievable. All that being said, as people are running up and down the street saying, Lakers are back, Lakers are back. Lakers are only 24 and 23. Mm. They're struggling to stay above 500. And by the way, the Lakers beat a 10th place team. That's who Golden State was. It was a hell of a game to watch. Lakers are in the midst of this this road trip. Now they go into Houston uh, to, to start. So we keep hearing through the grapevine that the Lakers are actively talking about a potential of a major trade. So we'll just have to pay attention to that. Meanwhile, the Clippers, I want you to hold on to the table. Just just hold on. <laughs> All right. For the first time in my life, maybe I should admit I was wrong. Oh, you were wrong? I was wrong. First time in my life. I didn't think the big three would mix and match pretty well with the L.A. Clippers. And the L.A. Clippers are 30 and 14. Wow. L.A. Clippers with the big three. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, James Harden. They've won 13 of their last 15. The other night, they went into Boston. You know, Boston. (laughs) One of the best teams in the NBA East. 
They had a 33-point lead over Boston in the third quarter. The fans were booing as they were getting up, leaving their seats from the garden and going. So the Clippers, probably because I said I didn't think this would fit, they're looking over their shoulder, glaring and staring at me, and they're of the opinion, you were wrong. Oh boy, right now, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have stayed healthy. And James Harden has come on board, and some nights Harden scores 31, and some nights PG gets 37, and some nights Kawhi gets 33. These guys are playing really well together. And the team in L.A., you should be paying attention to, not the Lakers show, the Clipper cause. Man, have they come together. It's only half a season, still got to play, see if somebody stays healthy, somebody gets hurt. Right now... The big three have really worked together. You think I was wrong? <laughs> you know, you may turn out to be right in the end because <laughs> Kawhi Leonard will always get hurt. Paul George is going to get hurt. James Harden is probably going to go off into some goofy realm where he's like in a fight with somebody. So there's 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 plenty that can still go wrong here. OK, now the Lakers Warriors, I missed that game and I saw it was double OT and I don't know why I just missed that one. That would have been a lot of fun to watch. I just but, you know, both those teams, the Warriors and Lakers, they're just a shell of what they used to be. Exactly. We'll have to see. If this, if this Laker transaction, because the Lakers are rumored now in this conversation, we talked about this last week, this heavy conversation with Atlanta about DeJounte Murray, their high-scoring guard. But there's so many complexities with draft picks that have to be included, salary matches, that they're now trying to get a third team or maybe even a fourth team to contribute to make all this stuff match. I don't know if the Laker-Atlanta trade will come through. But for one night... And you had to miss it because you were painting or whatever the hell you do on your free time. One night you missed an electric game. But then again, that was ninth place team versus 10th place team yeah. in a Western Conference. Yeah, well, the playoffs are coming up in a couple of months. So looking forward to that. But where are the Clippers? are if they, They're not the number one or two seed of the season. They're ending. pushing it, though. Yeah, they're up near the top. They're 30 and 14. That's pretty impressive. I mean, that franchise hasn't won a championship. Even if you go back to the Buffalo Braves, they never won anything, no, did no. they? So, I mean, we need the Clippers to do something. That'd be great if they did. Okay, so we go from basketball. Hey, join us on Fans Forum. You like hoops? You can either shoot a three-point shot, shoot an air bore, but shoot us something in the chat room for Fans Forum, if you like, the NBA. John, we got baseball to talk about. Baseball. And, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on here with the Padres getting their roster in order. Spring training starts in a few weeks. Yeah, Padres Dodgers are the first ones into the Cactus League for early spring training because they go to play in South Korea to start the season March 20th, 21st, something like that. Uh, a lot of storylines involving the Padres right now. Let's just go through the Padre Notebook. They have issued what I have to think is a record number of non-roster invitees. Those are hot prospects that are not on the 40-man roster. Those are street-free agents that they signed that might be on El Paso's roster. They've invited 32 non-roster guys uh, to come to spring training in two weeks. Now, it hasn't gotten a lot of notice. I mean, the, the big off-season off acquisition has been the signing of the ja two Japanese closers. Well, Japanese and Korean. Okay, Japanese-Korean. <laughs> so that, that's been the big storyline. Padres have signed 20 street-free agents. Mm -hmm. None of these guys, I think, are going to make the roster. The latest journeyman that they've signed is Ty Wade, first baseman outfielder, a little bit of pop, 
just has not hit major league pitching much. Been with the Yankees for a chunk of time, was with last place Oakland last season. They signed outfielder Orlando Mercado. Mercado, former Cleveland Indian, Cleveland Guardian, St. Louis Cardinal, been in the majors bits and pieces for five years. He's more a 4A player than he is anything else. But these are the 20 guys, aside from the Japanese and Korean relievers, these are the 20 guys that they've spent minimal money on to get to camp. The other weird part of the equation, you know, you have the 40-man roster in the offseason mm-hmm. where all your stars are and your top prospects, so you protect them, they don't get drafted. Padres only have 35 guys on their 40-man roster. That's weird. Because you don't have to protect all the young rookies. Right. 35. Everybody's roster's always at 40. Padres have 35 because they don't have enough. Right. Well, they got some open spots. Yeah, I got some open spots. So that's that's not a good sign. Uh, The trade rumors just continue to fly. Uh, Jake Cronenworth, Hassan Kim. Most of the conversation more recently has been Cronenworth or Kim to Miami for one of their pitchers. Miami's really deep in pitching. Jesus Lazardo is available. There's another pitcher, a right-hander. Lazardo's a southpaw uh, by the name of Edwin Cabrera. One of those guys might be dealt with by Miami to go get an established bat. Miami needs a second baseman, needs a shortstop. Cronenworth is a second baseman. Hasa Kim can play any of those positions. Only problem is Miami does not want Cronenworth's $10 million contract. So then it begs the question... A.J. Preller, you want to do this deal? We'll trade you one of the pitchers. We'll take Cronenworth. You've got to pay $5 million of Cronenworth's $10 million salary. Mm. So now A.J.'s got to pay more money for the bad contract he gave Crony if he's going to trade Cronenworth. Kim, I wouldn't deal him. I don't care that he's going to be a free agent next season. The guy was unbelievably productive, and if he's going to be a quality free agent, then pay the guy a quality free agent salary. $8 million is his current contract. Miami might take $8 million on because they desperately need a star shortstop, even if it's a one-year rental. But I I just don't want to see that happen. And in terms of Preller, uh, Preller's payroll as of today, we believe, is $158 million. He's only got $28 million left. I think the Padres are committed to have maybe a 180 or 190 max payroll to get well below the luxury threshold. That's why he hasn't done anything outside of the two unique signings from the Pacific Rim. And it's weird to have only 35 men on your 40-man roster. And they desperately need a first baseman. They desperately need something that resembles a designated hitter. Uh, And obviously, holes in left field and center field. And by the way, if you could get me another veteran starting pitcher on a rental, I'd like that. How come they have not made a move on Gary Sanchez? How come they've not made a move on Garrett Cooper, who is in Boston today, talking to the Red Sox, and he's got power, and that's the green monster out in left field. Uh, and they've not, not made a move yet to sign Jerickson Profar, although that may be a dollar value represented by agent Scott Boros. So, you know, here we are two weeks out from going to the Cactus League, John, and they still got lots of holes, and they haven't moved on guys they're familiar with. Go ahead, your reaction. Well— I, I saw the list of the non-roster invitees, and I'm encouraged because there are guys in there like Jacob Marcy and Jackson Merrill and these young kids. All the double-A kids, Robbie Snelling and all, and Dylan Lasko and the Class A kids. Yeah. But that 
it's a ways away. No, but 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 like Jackson Merrill, I think can make the roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could play him in center field or left field. There's a guy um, that's very talented, one of the top prospects in all of MLB. So it's going to be interesting how he does this. I wonder, do you think maybe Preller is sort of waiting out the market to see if these free agents that they don't get signed, maybe he can get them on a deal like Jordan Montgomery or maybe even Blake Snell? No, not those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, desperately need a DH. J.D. Martinez is still out there. But, you know, Garrett Cooper is there, probably a much more affordable price. You already had Garrett Cooper. You saw what he did in little spurses and yeah. flashes. I, I just don't understand the methodology. And you can say, wait, prices come down. Yeah, but you know how many guys are off the board in free agency, gone other places? Mm-hmm. And they're obviously not not going to keep Snell, and, they, and Jordan Montgomery's going to wind up going somewhere else. And they're, they're playing the prices right, and those are bigger, bigger contracts. I, I, I understand that you can still pick up guys in spring training, but are they as good as the guys you can get in January or could have gotten back in November when free agency opened? Or is the dollar thing just strangling Prello's ability to do any transactions? I, I guess I will ask Padre Fan, who follows us, at, jump into Fan's forum. Your response, you satisfied or dissatisfied with where the Padres are right now and what Preller has not done, considering two weeks out from Cactus League, and man, there's a lot of holes in that roster. Yeah, there, there's a ton of holes. they got a lot of work to do. Okay, so Fans Forum, that window is open. If you're a Padre fan following us, jump in to the chat room. Other topic on the table, hockey. NHL, breaking down the news, Lee, what's new? Hockey Hotline. This is amazing. You know the Edmonton Oilers, how horrible they were at the beginning of the season? They fired their coach a month into the campaign. Edmonton has now won 16 straight. Whoa. They are one game away from tying the all-time NHL record that goes back to the 1920s. Incredible. Oilers are just playing great hockey. And I still have reservations. The Oilers don't have the right goaltending. But they've won 16 in a row. And it's just not Connor McDavid. Everybody is contributing. So that that is spectacular. L.A. Kings. Something's got to happen because this has to change. This team at one point, they came out of the gate or 20 Seven and four to start the season. The Kings are two and fourteen since mid-December. They have stopped scoring. They got problems in goal now that have just overwhelmed them. Uh, Rob Blake has given the coach Todd McClellan a vote of confidence. He can't. <laughs> they they can't make it fit. And if you look at the roster. They got a lot of good hockey players, a lot of veteran hockey players. They got a ton of guys making eight million a year. Pierre Luc Dubois, Kevin Fiala. I guess we now know why Winnipeg and Minnesota got rid of you. These guys aren't haven't shown up. They're not scoring goals at all. How could you be this good to start the season, such a big payroll, and be so poor right now? Uh, are they going to fall out of the playoff race? No, there's still half a season to go. But that roster, you look at that roster, and it's 2-14 and 14 in the last 16 games. How's that possible? <laughs> and then the third one is the San Diego Gulls. And this is the same team that went 13 games in a row without a win in November. And the Gulls have flipped the corner. A, they got injured guys back. That helps. Some veteran guys like Chase DeLeo back. That helps. But their kids suddenly have turned it up a notch. And they're scoring goals. You know, this past weekend, they've been on the road uh, for a week and a half. Five-game roadie in the American Hockey League. Sasha Pastuhov, a rookie, 
had not scored a goal all season. We're at midseason. He pots three in one game at Iowa. Um, Nestorenko, Nestor Nestorenko, young guy. He gets three goals in the same game for the goals. And their goaltending has improved. And the other thing is they just lost their top defenseman. Olin Zoeger has been called up by the Anaheim Ducks, and he's going to play probably the rest of the season up there because they've got so many injuries. They've got all the good young defensemen we thought were going to be here in San Diego are now putting on Ducks colors uh, and, and playing up there at, at the Honda Center. And their goaltending has been pretty, as young as it is, their goaltending has been pretty consistent. Suddenly the goals have won six of eight, most of them on the road. And this is a team that went 13 straight games without a win in November. And it, it's obvious to me uh, that this, this coaching staff has done a really good job flipping this thing. And all of a sudden, the Gulls have taken themselves out of last place. And the Gulls are trying to push their way into the playoff racing. Got a half a season to get there. And I think it'll reignite this town if this team keeps winning because the crowds have been terrible. You know, team that used to draw eleven and 12,000 has drawn 4,500 and 5,000 mm-hmm. now. Um, and hopefully Matt McElvain's going to flip this. He's finally, I think these kids, the light bulb's gone on. These kids are learning what it's like to play at this next level. Because going to the American Hockey League, it's different than playing at Cornell. It's different than playing for the London Knights in the Ontario Hockey Association. It's really different if you came from Europe. The grind here is a lot different and this jump up in in level of play. And it looks like McIlvain has finally flipped the switch in his kids. And there's a ton of young guys there starting to learn how to play and score goals at this level. So, John, put your beer down. You're a hockey fan. Quit banging on the plexiglass behind the penalty box. Tell me what you think. Well, first of all, I think all three of these teams flipped a switch, right? But let's t- tell me a little bit about NHL history. You know, if the Oilers are one game away from setting the all-time consecutive win streak, who has the record right now? Good question. I want to say it might be the Detroit Red Wings from a couple decades ago when they had their Stanley Cup teams and teams and teams. It might be them, but 16 wins in a row, and that's home, that's road, that's through injuries and all that. That's a spectacular accomplishment. And I don't think they have enough goaltending, but right now their goaltending is playing better than it did last year when they got let down in postseason play and how crappy they played to start the season. You know, maybe there's going to be a deal coming there, but you win 16 in a row in any league because this is a tough league, especially on the road. And the the travel is in the NHL is such a grind. You're playing three three four games in seven days. The yeah. wear and tear factor. So, sixteen wins in a row is just that should catch everybody's attention. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Oakland A's back in the Billy Bean area oh, and yeah. that run. But that's yeah, that's a huge accomplishment, especially with all the travel. And it's not like you get to play a three game series. You can set up camp in one city for a weekend. You're always on the move. Yeah. You've- board the charter at 11 o'clock after a game and then you fly to wherever you fly and get there at 4 a.m. and then maybe have one day off for ice time and you got to play again in Detroit and then do the same thing coming out of Detroit, going to Chicago or Columbus and the NHL, the teams out west. They take them on the road. It's not one and done. Play five games. Yeah. Six games on the road. Whoa. Huge accomplishment. Okay. So, lots of hockey to talk about. All right, it's time for you to join us. <laughs> we call this Fans Forum. You got questions? I guarantee we got answers to give you. And by the way, our podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. There are nine locations in San Diego. You got projects to do. 
Use these people for your supplies. Use these people as consultants. Dixie Line Lumber. And by North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido, we're all going to have things with our eyes we're going to have to address. Whether it's glaucoma, whether it's cataracts, whether it's a cornea problem, whether it's pink eye, whether it's an eye test, you need them. North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John, these people are stacked up from here to the border with questions on fans for them. Go ahead. Yeah, I got a lot of questions about the NFL and the NHL and lots going on. Let's go to Al to kick it off. He says, would Coach Hacksaw on fourth and two uh, kick the field goal to make the score 27-10 in the third quarter for the Detroit Lions? I'm a proponent in postseason play, Al. Don't take points off the board. Now, it just depends where the fourth and two is. Is the fourth and two in at the twenty one? Or is the fourth and two out at the 38? Mm. That's a big issue because if you go 38, eight yards back to spot the ball, that puts it at the 46, which makes it a 56-yard field goal. So it just depends how deep are you in plus territory as to whether you take the gamble to punch for the fourth down, get the first down, and keep the drive going. Farther out, I think, you know, sometimes you even punt the ball to pin somebody back on the long field and let your defense get the ball back and then you play the field position game. But they did it all year. That's part of Dan, his uh, coach's DNA. So I I guess I subscribe to what they're doing. But this coaching staff will now learn about the intensity level and the complexities of playoff games as compared to playing the third weekend in November against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, it's a big difference. You know, generally speaking, I like it when coaches go for it on fourth down because I think the analytics guys prove it out that in certain situations, it's it puts the probabilities in your favor. But they only lost that game by three. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had made both of those field goals, they could have won the thing. So, you know, good on Dan Campbell. I love the bravado, but I think he kind of fell in love with going for fourth down. Okay, next question. Okay, moving on. Let's go here to to John. He says, two comeback wins in a row for the 49ers. Will there be a third? Well, I think they proved something. You know, I was concerned that Brock Purdy was freaking out with the pressure. You know, and we said Thursday when we did our preview, you know, pass rush, move him off his spot because then he gets inconsistent and erratic. He threw some bad balls when he moved off the spot. Lucky a couple didn't get picked. But, you know, Purdy... That's a learning curve for a young quarterback. And now now he knows what postseason play is really like because they're going to blitz the daylights out of you. But they proved something. I mean, they got a, they climbed out of two pretty big holes in those playoff games. I mean, I was shaking my head. I said, I can't believe what I see these 49ers are doing in front of their home fans. I can see you getting ambushed on the road. I can see this happen to you in Green Bay or happen to you in Detroit. But at home, I was really stunned. So... Learning curve, they still got an awful lot of firepower. And I think that's the most unique thing about San Francisco. They got so many bullets in the gun that they can fire from every every type of direction. And John Riley says. <laughs> and I say, I'm just amazed at Brock Purdy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's only 24 years old. He's going to go to the Super Bowl, which is amazing. And my, my son is 24. But he is just so unassuming, you know, he just looks like Clark Kent, you know, but then he can flip it and become Superman and and you would never expect it from this guy. But boy, he was just unbelievable. 21 and five as a starter in a year and a half. 
That's it's just insane. I mean, I remember when he was at Iowa State and, you know, you hear the name Purdy and I don't know what you think about, like the the banjo players in Arkansas. Yeah, that throw old five deliver- touchdowns in a game, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was legit, you know, we but I, I mean, it's just the whole I mean, someone's got to make a movie about this guy. It's incredible. Oh, it's a little early to put him in the Hall of Fame right now. Well, not that yet, but there. this is ripe for Hollywood. We move on. We move on. Okay, here we go. Let's go to um, who's next in the queue. Here it is. Let's go to Matt. Uh, Matt says, which Canadian NHL team has the best shot at the cup? I look at the roster of Toronto, and I don't understand why they're not in first place in the East. Uh, Maple Leafs are paying mega contracts to everybody, and they've got all this firepower and goal scoring. They should pay some money to goaltending because they got. I think they got a real goaltending crisis. So at this point, unless they do something at trade deadline, I I don't know if Toronto is going to be a Stanley Cup finalist. Uh, geez, Edmonton is playing great hockey. Holy cow! What a what a way this thing has come together under a new coach. Of, they brought up from the American Hockey League. It's just absolutely phenomenal what Kyle Knobloch has been able to do uh, since he, he took over. I don't like their goaltending. I think they're still shaky in goaltending, but we'll see if they do something at the trade deadline. But most everybody is really up against it with a salary cap. It's almost impossible for some teams to make trades. But I, w- I would say of the Canadian teams, yeah, those guys for sure. The, my Edmonton right now, I'm still waiting for Toronto to make this thing, quote, come together, which is either fix the goaltending or do something to strengthen the defense. Well, when was the last time the Canadians or the Maple Leafs were at the top of the league in the NHL and won the Stanley Cup? Well, Montreal's won the Stanley Cup back, but that goes back 10 years probably. Yeah. Uh, Toronto, can you say 1967? 1967. And this is one of the richest tradition-laden franchises in the history of the sport. And they haven't done it since 1967. Just do you, amazing. Do you remember those those hockey games where there yeah. were like these sticks and you'd rotate them and they it was always the Montreal against Toronto. And well, they mine, said, mine was always Montreal versus the New York Rangers. Okay, there you yeah, go. We had that in, the, in our basement in our house on Long Island. <laughs> I'd play my brothers and... Sacre bleu. Good times. Okay, carry on. Moving on. Okay, here. Let's go to to uh, Callan Max Sports. He says, what do the LA Kings need to do to snap out of this slump? Team chemistry seems to be way off, especially after post-game comments made by Drew Doughty after they lost to Buffalo last week. Well, you, you know, that team revolves around Adrian uh, Kempe and Anzi Kopitar, and those are two real stars. Uh, I'm just, and I will tell you, the young kid, the number one pick, I think he just turned 20, Quentin Byfield, big center. He's having a really good breakout season. He'd spent bits and parts of two years since they turned him pro coming out of Ontario in the Hockey League there. But, boy, the big money guys are just, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois has got all this physical talent. And you look at him and say, what a phenomenal power player, and he can score goals. He hasn't scored goals. He scored eight. And they can't figure out what line to put him on. And I mean, they made the trade. Now, I guess now you understand why Columbus got rid of him and why Winnipeg got rid of him. And now he's in L.A. on an $8 million contract. And they're stuck with the deal and they're stuck with a guy that just kind of seems to float. And the same thing, Kevin Fiala. I mean, he's making big money. He scored a pile of goals, Minnesota Wild. He came here a year plus ago. They haven't been the same player. 
And these guys are just, I mean, they're tying up so much money in the salary cap. So I, can the Kings rally this? I don't know. They got goaltending problems. That's the other thing is, you know, having lost one of their goaltenders now with a season-ending knee injury, they may, they, they're going to have to find a way to make a deal to get a veteran rental goaltender in there to backstop them because they're giving up like five goals a game right now. You can't win in the NHL with that. I mean, we could look at every sport in the book, and there's always those teams that sign these big-time guys. They have all this hope, all this excitement, and then they just lay an egg in the season. I mean, the, the, is this Kings team going to be like our Padres? I mean, what do you think? That's, that's a good question. There's too much talent, too much firepower on that roster to understand why the hell this is not this is happening the way it is. You know, and— you can hit the eject button on Todd McClellan. I think overall in the big picture, he's done a pretty good job there bringing law and order. But is it going to change it? It's got to come from the players. It's got to come from within that room. And I think that's why Drew Doughty, who's usually stoic. I mean, what he said after the Buffalo loss, they had a huge lead against Buffalo and it obliterated and everybody's standing around. And the Sabres are coming back and scoring goals. Sabres got all these injured players. Their best players are on the injured reserve list. It was shocking. So that's why Doughty just spilled his guts. So we'll we'll see if this has an effect. Uh, sometimes you just need a catalyst. You need an incident. You need something to happen, whether it's it's the captain standing up and calling people out by names, or whether it's instigated by a fight or a brawl that brings a team together. Something has to happen in LA to make this thing get unified. Mm. Well, let's go on. We have some NBA questions here. This is uh, from Patriots for Christ. Clay Thompson looks washed, sad. A lot of miles, a lot of miles on the body. And he's had two major injuries. He doesn't look like the same player at all. It kind of looks like he's lost a step of quickness. Uh, he was always a standoff guard who would take it and drill it, but he's not getting open now, and he just doesn't look right. And for all the miles, it's 200,000 miles on Steph Curry. Boy, he just plays and goes and goes and goes. And then you see the third the third guy might hold the key. His, his name is Jonathan Kuminga. He's a young guy. He was 19. Um, he's learned. He's playing a lot more minutes this year. His game can be explosive. His game can also be really skitterish. Where you, you know, I watched him in the in the Golden State Laker game, and I I saw Kaminga make some unbelievable plays in and around the basket. I mean, he's a jumping jack who can also stroke it from outside. And you say, "Wow, look at that athleticism! Holy cow, is he coming?" Then you see him make bonehead shot. Why'd you take that shot in the shot clock situation late in the game? What <laughs> What are you doing? So he's just a young guy learning on the job. You remember when? Clay Thompson and Curry first became the Splash Brothers. Yeah. That was what, like 2012, maybe 2013? Five to eight years ago, I'd say. But I just remember, like, we knew who Curry was, you know, what he did in, in the NCAA and took Davidson deep. But I didn't know much about Clay Thompson at all. And all of a sudden he was showed up. Was he a first round draft pick? Coming out of Washington State, I think he was. Um, but, but to he, me, he was not really on my radar yeah, as a young he guy. He could stroke it, but they had, they had other good players. You know, that was Draymond Green at the height of Draymond Green being great, mm-hmm. and they had big men who could play. But the, I mean, the Splash Brothers had stand out there all night and just bury threes. Well, Curry is doing it right now. Clay Thompson statistically is not. Uh, and, you know, this is a contract year for him. He's making 45 mil. Hmm, not too shabby. To, they try, yeah, they, well, he's earned it. Yeah. They tried to sign him to an extension. And he said no. But now he's playing really poorly. And he's had injuries. He's had two major injuries, like Steph Curry's had two major injuries. Right. And for both those guys to be back on the court, that's pretty impressive. Curry's playing back to what Curry is. Clay is kind of giving ground. He 
He does look like he has 200,000 miles on his wheels. Well, you know, he's beloved in San Francisco, especially sure. when he's out on the town. He has his dog with him. He's always getting his picture taken on social media. So yeah, he's something. Moving on. Okay, let's go back to Al here. This is a really good question, I thought. Hacksaw, as a young lad, your most memorable childhood memory, the 1958 championship game at Yankee Stadium, a mesh OT touchdown, Pirates winning game seven, World Series 1960. What is it? Well, I grew up on Long Island, so I remember all that stuff. That's Alan Amici, Baltimore Colts, overtime game winning uh, playoff championship game, uh, Baltimore at Yankee Stadium. That game was nationally televised. That was the first, quote, national telecast of an NFL game. The whole country saw it. That was the catalyst to make NFL on TV something really special, the Alan Amici overtime touchdown win. And I I saw on live TV Ralph Terry serve up the home run to Bill Mazeroski, the Pirates' game-winning home run. Uh, they gave Pittsburgh the victory on network TV. So those those are you're correct. Those are memories of a lifetime for a young sports fan growing up on Long Island. Yeah, well, I'd say for my speaking for myself, I was a senior in high school when the 49ers beat the Bengals in '82, their first Super Bowl win. That was a huge deal. Was that Montana Clark? Uh, yeah, Montana and Clark and Earl Cooper was on the team there. This is before they played Miami and and uh, Marino in the 84 Super Bowl. Um, the other thing that was big for me as a kid is I remember right before the 1975 World Series between the Reds and the Red Sox, my, my stepfather went out and bought a color TV. And boy, oh. that pissed off my mom because we didn't have the money, but he bought it anyways. But that was the Carlton Fisk, you know, with the waving over the home run by the Green Monster. And that was an amazing series. And that one is always etched in my memory. Amazing moments yes. on TV for everybody to see. And it's burned into your brain. Big time. We move on. Moving on. All right. Let's let's go here to, to San Cactus Man. He goes, Hacksaw. Good to know you're on YouTube. We've been here for a little bit over a year. We got maybe 4,500 subscribers right now, which is pretty good for about 14 months. Yeah, not too bad. And we're everywhere. I mean, because of this guy, (laughs) this guy knows all things social media. He's got us on every platform all hours of the day and night. Well, I, I love seeing these kinds of comments because there are people that are like rediscovering you, yeah. you know, and, and Hacksaw's back. So it's all good. But we're here Mondays. We're here Thursdays, one o'clock West Coast time, normally both days. So, hey, subscribe. Therefore, you will get all the alerts when we show up. OK, let's go here to Mike talking uh, P- Padres. He goes, trade for Jazz Chisholm and Lazardo is the best punch we could get. Well, you'd have to give up a lot, and you'd have to convince Miami to take contracts. That's the big issue. I mean, Chisholm, I think, has got two more years arbitration eligibility. I think Lazardo's got at least two, if not a third year. But to get him, you're going to have to give up something of significance. And I don't think Miami wants to take on Cronenworth's salary. They might take Kim, but you know now you're now you're creating another hole in your infield if you trade Kim away. Um, tough, tough call for what A.J. Preller might possibly do with this situation. Uh, but the Miami trades are still out there. Chisholm can play second. Chisholm can play center. Lazardo is really reliable. I think he was 10-10 and 10 last year uh, for kind of a crummy Miami team that was fell apart at the end of the season. They got a 3.6 ADRA. So, I mean, Lazardo's that's an established middle-of-your-rotation guy. I don't know if the Padres could take on both of them because I'd have to give up more than just Cronenworth and uh, Hassan Kim to make that deal go through. 
Was Lazardo? He was on the Oakland A's at yes. one time. So, the, so think of that roster that the A's had. They had a lot of really good pictures, mm-hmm. and now they're all throughout the league. This is interesting to me. A Chaz Ch- Chisholm makes sense, but would, would you rather have Chisholm in center and Tatis in right, or would you rather have Tatis in center and then go sign like a corner outfielder? The baseball people that I network with tell me that if Tatis goes to center, he's going to get hurt. Really? Because that's a wear, that's a real wear and tear position to play. Mm-hmm. He has mastered right field. He's got the cannon for the arm, which you want for somebody in right field. A couple of baseball people that I bang around with are of the opinion now: don't don't put him in center because he'll get hurt. Because the the you wear down, and the way he plays, he'd probably wear down and get hurt. Uh, if you're asking me which one of the Miami guys, I'd rather have Lozado. Because they need, they desperately need established pitching. Yeah. You know, and if you got Jackson Merrill and you got Cronenworth and you got, and you keep Kim, you know, I think you might have enough pieces to relocate into these other positions in need. But they don't have any major league pitching ready. I mean, it's Snelling is maybe a year and a half away. The other guys are even farther back than that. And this window of opportunity with you, Darvish, and Joe Musgrove, and the window of opportunity with some age now on Xander, uh, as well as Manny, I think you got to you got to do it. I'd rather take the pitcher than I would the second baseman outfielder. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I'm wondering. Maybe Cronenworth in the left, you know, or maybe Cronenworth is your starting second baseman because Kim has to play short because Manny is not going to be hitting for the first few months. Yeah, somebody's going to wind up being over at first base. Maybe it's going to be Machado or maybe he's just going to be the DH or maybe it's going to be Bogarts. But we're two weeks away from spring training and I still have these (laughs) openings in different slots of the roster. A couple more here before we put the lid on fans forum. Okay, let's go to Phyllis. He says, wow, good to see youngsters getting a chance to play with the Ducks. Yeah, the kids are playing well. They got to stay healthy. That's a big issue. You know, Trevor Zegers has now had two major injuries this season. We saw Drysdale get hurt twice and then they finally traded him, which kind of really shocked me. Although the kid they got from Boston College is supposed to be a stud in waiting, uh, Gauthier. And obviously we've got Leo Carlson, who's played well. They've spotted him. He had one major injury. And i got all these young guys. i got the three of the young defensemen are now up with the big club. And you still got, obviously, the the, the bulk of your toughness and, the, and goal in John Gibson. But um, I think they're, they may trade one of their veterans up front just to get more assets and resources. Uh, I think Adam Henrique is probably going to be trade bait because he is scoring goals. They're not they're not going anywhere in the playoffs. So the Ducks will probably move Henrique's contract. I think they'd like to get rid of Silverberg's contract because he's a shell of what it was. You talk about somebody waking up as an old man. Uh, I mean, it, to see the decline in Jacob Silverberg's productivity as a forward for the Ducks is kind of kind of stunning. This is the last year of his contract. So, you know, the future's down road. They're, they just need to keep their kids healthy on the ice, and they're surely playing a lot of these kids a lot right now. Always good to see kids get a shot, yep. especially in a team that's in the lower half. It gives them an opportunity. Someone may surprise. Hey, there's a bunch of comments here about the same question, which is about that winning streak and who had the record, and everyone's got a thought. Phyllis said, oh, I heard the answer to this. Was it Chicago who had that record or maybe the Penguins? And then Callum McSport says the Penguins have the longest win streak, 17 in a row with Mario Lemieux. Okay. Derek Schmidt says, wasn't it the 80 Flyers that had that record? And then uh, Columbus, of all teams, has a record of 16. 
And then Charlie says, NHL record of 17 set by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1992-93. There's your answer. That's why you got laptop. You can check it up while we're doing this talk show. But okay. 16 wins in a row by Edmonton and Connor McDavid, is that's pretty impressive. Indeed. Here, let's, let's got a Dodger comment here. He goes, this is from Craig. He goes, how can the Dodgers blow it again and not win at all with that roster? Well, they've been blown it. They haven't played yet. Give, you know, <laughs> that, that's, let's give Dave Roberts this opportunity this season to win this thing again. You know, they, they, what they've done has been significant, whether it is Otani, whether it's Yamamoto, uh, you know, and now the acquisition just this past week of James Paxton, who went healthy is really a good major league established middle rotation guy. He's 64 and 38, I believe, as a starter in Seattle and Boston. He's had a ton of physical woes. So I think the Dodgers are going to be unbelievably gifted to start the season. And then by June 1st or July 1st, we're going to get Kershaw back and we're going to get Dustin May back. And Walker Bueller will have already been in the rotation. So those are three guys you don't have right now coming out of the gate. So... Giant fan here shaking his head like, you don't want to play the season, do you? No, I mean, the Giants are doomed here, you know. Uh, but they, they got the new center fielder, though, you know, the kid from Korea. So that's good. Um, Padres, that roster for the Padres matched up against the Dodgers. It's not doesn't complete. look complete. But, you know, the Dodgers, they've only won that one championship, the, the strike, or not the strike shortened, but the COVID shortened season. You have to go all the way back to 88. You know, to Kirk Gibson with this move to when they last won it legitimately. So, I don't know. I kind of think the Dodgers are going to be good, but I don't think there's any guarantee they're going to win at all. That's why we play the season, pal. Exactly, And that will start with the Padres and the Dodgers in Seoul, South Korea in mid-March. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed Hacksaw's Headlines, our Monday bonus podcast, brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center. There are nine stores in San Diego to serve you. And by... By North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. We will all need help when it comes to our eyes going forward. When you do, remember North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John will be back here. What's that phrase? Same time, same station. Same bat time, yeah. same bat channel. We'll be on the air Thursday, West Coast time, 1 p.m. Hope you'll join us again. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.